What's up, party people? You know one of the worst things about being a self-employed performer? That's right, it's your tax. If you're sick and tired of collecting all your receipts and guessing your way through your tax rebate, well, I know the people that can remove the stress and make it as simple as five, six, seven, eight. That's right, it's Theat Accounts. They're an accounting company that specialize in working with performers. So they know all the things that we can claim back and it's so simple. You upload your invoices and bank statements to their website and they do all the work for you. It's cheap, it's easy and once you try it, I guarantee you will not regret it. It has changed my tax life. Just email info at theataccounts.co.uk. That's theat, T-H-E-A-T, accounts. So again, that's info at theataccounts.co.uk. Make sure you tell them you're from the Ins and Outs podcast and you'll get some five-star VIP treatment. You will get treated like a king. Honestly, they've changed my life. They've made it so much easier. They've removed the stress from tax and they can do the same for you. Boom. The Ins and Outs Podcast with your host, Kane Silver. In this episode of the Ins and Outs Podcast, I speak to Jamie Boddy. Jamie has been a performer for over 13 years working in TV, film and theatre. In this episode, I pick Jamie's brain and he also picks mine. It's a double podcast because Jamie has his own show called The Business of Show Business. Make sure you go and check that out on all podcast platforms um it was a pleasure talking to him i had a great time i realized i say a hundred percent more than anyone does in the world so i hope you enjoy here is jamie body jamie hey how's it going what's up dude how are you not too bad thank you if you were to see the setup of my mic and everything right now gosh i don't i don't move in case i get buried so there we go home home studio right yes (laughs) This is my first time. Well, when we first started lockdown, I was doing quite a few podcasts via Skype. And then I saw loads of people doing them on live. And I was like, that's actually kind of cool. So then I was doing them on live, but I don't record the audio through like my proper equipment. I just rip the sound from the video. So the sound isn't as crisp or as clear. But the people I'm talking to haven't got their own like setup at home. You know what I mean? To be able to do the same thing. Yeah, no, so hopefully this will be okay. I've got the mic all in good place. So fingers crossed. This, my internet can be a bit patchy. So if I um, freeze in a really grotesque picture, that is why. That's okay. We'll get you stuck like mid-word. It'd be fantastic. We can use that as the picture for the conversation. <laughs> How are you doing? How's, uh, how's COVID life for you? Yeah, not bad. Um, I think it took me a while to kind of get into the flow of it. But I'm lucky that a certain percentage of what I do can be done online. So mm-hmm. I managed to kind of shift that focus. I know a lot of performers right now are kind of thinking, right, this is the new norm. How do I take what I do in real life online and hopefully make mm-hmm. <laughs> make money doing it? Well, it's interesting you say that because... Um, I'm a part of quite a few groups on Facebook. Normally, like a lot, like all the um, the hustle and stuff like that. But like uh, dance teacher ones, and they all seem to be having this complete meltdown. And it's obvious that a lot of them are probably middle aged dance teachers, which have never experienced social media world before, and probably they all they've got is Facebook. And all I see them is them having a breakdown that they can't get any students and they can't make any money and. The, the students don't want to do their online classes for £5 a class. And I'm like, well, you've got the best people in the world teaching for free. You need to figure out a new way to market yourself and adapt to these times. Do you know what I mean? So I think I think the younger generation are adapting quite well to it. You know, the people that are used to social media already, 
But I think for dance schools or people who may not be so in tune with the modern world are really struggling. Yeah, and I think there's also a thin line because I think, granted, um, money in the arts, there's obviously, there's not as much of it at the moment. However, I think some people are maybe pricing themselves incorrectly. So when we are out of COVID, they're not actually going to be able to make money because they're going to be like, well, if I could do your, if I could do a four-hour workshop for £2 last month, why am I going to now pay you £200 to do it in person? So it's it's a very interesting... Um, the waters are very interesting to navigate at the moment, I think. It is. I feel like performers aren't very good at um, pricing themselves in normal life, let alone now. <laughs> yeah, I think we don't have a great... Um, sense sense of like self-worth do we as performers i think it's because we're always told what we're not good at and why we look in a mirror every day don't we for three years at college looking at who's better or what you're doing wrong so when it comes out to actually being like buy my product buy me people are a little bit like i think we're just too reserved aren't we sometimes a hundred percent i i kind of pride myself now on thinking of myself as not kane the performer but kane the business and how i can go I look at the biggest business in the world and like Apple and Nike and all these other huge businesses that succeed and I go, how can I take what they do well and apply it to my career? Oh, 100%. Like, I think so many performers need to adapt that because I think when you know as a product where you can work, you can then fine-tune those jobs where Mm -hmm. you're like, right, these are the people hiring the skills I have, where if, and I think there's also a great power comes in the fact of, you know what you're good at, also highlights what you're not good at, so then don't go to those auditions if you don't have those skills, invest your time in the people that are buying you as a product and the auditions you are, like, successful in. Yeah, it'd be like me going to a musical theatre audition and them going, can you sing, please? (laughs) I used to have one song, putting on the Ritz, and it was always like, they're like, can we have a rock pop? And I'm like, yeah, putting on the Ritz. And they're like, can we have a legit ballad? I'm like, putting on the Ritz. I literally just had one song that I would just hey, sing in every... As long as you were confident enough to go, this is what I'm doing, they won't question it. <laughs> so can you tell, for my listeners, a bit about yourself? I've kind of looked... I, I, I've never... I heard of you through Rosina once before. She said that you, you know, you started a podcast. And I was like, I don't know who this guy is, because we live in very... Although it's uh, the entertainment industry, I guess we're opposite ends of the spectrum of the entertainment industry um so i kind of zipped through your website yesterday and a bit today p.s it looks fantastic i've just made one this week and then i looked at yours and i was like oh mine's not that good i need to do more no so it kind yours of, is great yours is great it kind of stressed me out a bit but um yeah so you a uh, bit of everything right you've been in musical theater and now you do presenting yeah so um i went to performers college that's actually where i met um rosina um and i've kind of i never necessarily had a clear um, focus of I just have to do West End or commercial or whatnot. I kind of just wanted to do everything. Um, mm-hmm. And I realised quite early on that I wanted to build a career and not just kind of have flashes in the pans of chasing one credit. So, yeah, I did um, Tokyo Disney, Royal Caribbean. Um, I did The Voice in Ireland. Um, I've just finished doing a new Netflix show called Bridgerton, which we were filming on and off for um, six months, which was great. But for five years... Um, I've also been in arts marketing, so for two years I worked agency side and ran the socials for musicals like Matilda, Jersey Boys, Tina Turner and the Musical, Um, then freelance for three years and then I retrained as a journalist, so I actually work a lot with the stage, Broadway World, CNN, so I feel like I have a weird 360 look at the industry, because obviously I've been in shows, marketed shows and done the press for shows, and I think what I've really enjoyed is helping performers kind of realise oh, it's not just enough to, like, train for three years and that's it. There's so much more. Um, 
Yes, that's kind of me in a nutshell. And I have to ask you the same question because obviously I've got listeners for my show. So it's like a yeah, weird podcast cool. inception, isn't it? So can you? Yeah, it is. Because I think we may have been at one or two odd auditions before you went stateside. But obviously there's so many people you never necessarily chat to everyone. So can you tell my listeners about you? Um, yeah, that feels like three lifetimes ago before I went to LA. Um, my background, I mean, I started dancing at like 14 just straight away was like I, if I can do this for a job I saw this dancer Glenn Ball who did it for a job and he was my hero still is and I was like I want to I want to be like that guy I want to get paid for this um and all I knew was the goal was to dance behind a singer and I would have done whatever it took to be the guy behind an artist on top of the pops and that was just kind of my go and you know I joined like a, a dance group Started dancing, went to full-time education at 16, hated it with a passion, every single second of it, did not enjoy, but kind of knew that this was the, I have to, well, I was told I had to get through that to make it. So I did a year's foundational, then another two years foundational, because I was really, really bad, Um, and just kind of got a scholarship at Millennium, and I left after six weeks, because I was just like, this isn't for me, like, all they wanted me to be was musical theatre and I didn't have a care for it in my body at the time um and I just did whatever it took to get a job really I just stood outside pineapple until I made friends with people at 19 took as many classes as I could hustled free classes like would say to the teachers I'll press play and pause on your music as long as I can be in the room with you you know I won't even take up any space I'll hide in the corner and just kind of that way really and through meeting people and networking with dancers who were already in the industry and doing really well just kind of found my place booked my first like I did a job while I was in college and that kind of gave me the incentive not to continue with college um but once I booked my first job out of college I was like I'm actually good at this do you know what I mean and I found a niche for myself there wasn't another white ginger guy and I was like oh this is my role and from there just kind of it just kind of like a roller coaster. It all went so fastly. I started probably working at 20, like properly in London. And by the time I was 22, I was applying for my visa to the States. And I was there by 23, then moved home at 25, 26. And I'm almost 30. It's just been like, it's gone so fast, you know? I think that's the thing, like you hit the nail on the head. It's such a wave, isn't it? And you have to learn to ride the ups and the downs of the wave because we, we're always saying yes, aren't we, to work. That when we actually get downtime, like now, during COVID, we have nothing but downtime. So we're having to force ourselves to like relax and not tear our hair out. So I think, it, yeah, it's learning to ride that wave, isn't it? Well, and I feel like what dancers don't do, or performers, I should say, aren't very good at is downtime. I feel like we, we base ourselves work means when there's only a a paycheck coming in but the way I always envisioned it is for me every day is a work day because if I'm not getting paid for that day I'm figuring out a way to get paid for that day yeah 100% and I think it took me a while to learn to implement uh, my own work hours because even though I was freelance I was like if I reply to an email at 11 p.m that client or that person will expect me to do that all the time and I think it's helped me to have my downtime and I was like you know what I'm not going to work this Sunday like I said I'm meeting my friends that's important where you know like we always I think we always get, um, get distracted by shiny things don't we as performers we're like oh it's another job I don't know when my next one is and then like four months later you've not slept and you're like this is not cool yeah I'm not good at that I must say for me the biggest struggle and now as a you know a more mature adult especially as a dancer I feel like I experienced a lot in such a short amount of time that I, I feel more mature than I really am or have experienced more than I maybe should have 
I feel like I really struggled with the balance aspect. I really struggled at finding family time and finding social time. For me, especially when I moved to LA more than anything, where I had no money, so there was no partying and fun. It was just everything was a hustle, hustle, hustle. And then coming back home made me realize how much of a, I wasn't a human. I was just a dancer. Do you know what I mean? And I wish I could have made up more of that time of being a human than just being a performer or a dancer. Yeah, completely. I think we as creatives attach our worth to our work. So when we aren't working, we sadly, our worth is slowly chipped away at and it's you're only as good as your last job but it's actually like no your skills are so much more there's so much value in your skills outside of the audition room or on stage but I think we are told to be so like narrow focused like you said you miss those downtimes and being human and like what we do is fantastic but having now worked in the world of marketing and press if I say oh I've danced on Britain's Got Talent people are like okay cool that's it they're not like, oh my yeah. God, whoa, we're in the dance world. They are. So that was quite humbling to be like, like I would sometimes go to press events with someone um, that had just come back from covering like a massive award ceremony in LA or someone that used to be in like war journalism in Syria and now swapped more to like mainstream. And I was like, people clap me for a living and you've been shot at. Like, this is insane. A hundred percent. But don't you think that stems from, like, if you think back to college, maybe people who didn't go to college, if they disagree or agree, they can chime in. But for me, I remember being in college, they never, it, it wasn't about Kane as a person, it was always about Kane as a dancer. And for those three years, it was drilled into me that I had to be the best dancer and every day I should be going home after college and stretching. Every day I should be going home and practicing the exercises from college. There was no, there was no time for me to be, they didn't ever want me to be Kane. They wanted me to be the dancer. And when I was at college, I really rebelled and I really was always Kane the person and not Kane the dancer. And then when I left and I found my own journey, that's when I implied that Kane the dancer has to take over and I sucked at being a person. Yeah, and I think... Because colleges are obviously, colleges are great and they work well for some people, not for other um, others, sorry. But I think we... For them, they've got to think, they've got three years to turn you into someone that's a good credit to that college name. So when you leave and say you train there, they're like, great. And well, actually, some of the things get lost in translation of you as a human being. And actually, the fact the more multifaceted you are as an individual makes you so much more employable. But we don't think of that. We just think, crap, I didn't do the most turns or I can't sing the best or my legs don't go the highest. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true, because now as a, a an adult who's a mate, had a career in dance, you know, I had the opportunity to learn tap dance when I was in college, the one that I dropped out of, and now at 29 years old, I've picked up a pair of tap shoes and I'm trying to learn it, and I regret not ever doing it. I never went to boys ballet once in an entire year. And then it was because I was like, fuck this, this ain't for me, this isn't how I do it. And now I look back and go, man, I would have been so much better if I'd committed myself to those other things. So I think it's about, it's about finding that balance. And I think, but I do think college is also struggle to find the balance of humane humanity and training as well oh yeah completely and i think what i find with um my workshops when i work on more on personal branding is some colleges don't want to bring me in so maybe it highlights what they don't teach because yeah. obviously um 20 years ago it was like you have someone from the west end someone from commercial blah blah and that's the formula but it's changed so much and i don't know any performer that just does one thing to make an income now no. Like, I don't think that's possible. Or the people that do one thing just to make an income, they probably want to do other things as well because they've got more, like, skills and more passions they're not necessarily using if they're so narrow-focused. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's it's different between here and the states. I think when you're in the states, if you're say you're a dancer and you're with SAG and you work a lot, or you're like I had a guy on the podcast. I think he's watching still, but like Eddie Morales, he he's a working dancer and he he worked constantly. So I feel like for someone like that, you could make a living from just performing or just dancing. But in the UK, like even when you book like in le- obviously I'm talking commercial as we call it in quotations commercial dance you book a tour you're not touring for a year straight you know you're touring for a few months at a time and then you're back to the grind whereas in america normally if you book a tour with a will a big artist you're going to tour for a year year plus and kind of the same as west end if you book a west end tour you're going to work for a year plus but in my field it was always the jobs were very short and even a long job wasn't really a long job you weren't making a year's money out of that job very rarely yeah, no, and um, you had um, Ricky on the other day, and I did the Voice yeah. of Ireland with Ricky back in 2015, and that was one of my favourite jobs. But that was only six weeks, and then you almost don't have time to enjoy the fact you've done a good job because you have to think of what's next and how can I use that to get to the next step. It's quite hard. I was going to ask in America, do you think also dancers and um, artists are different mindset in America than the UK as well? Um. No, yes and no. Like, my relationship building out there was very different here because there's not many people in LA that are from LA. You know, they, everyone's flying into this hub of entertainment to strive and make it and be the best of the best. You know, it's entertainment capital of the world. Like, you are with the best of the best and everyone is fighting for those high roles. So, I feel like out there they are a bit more hungry. I feel like there it's a bit more nice at first but it's cutthroat when it needs to be compared to london like my experience in london was the people i met and now were my friends were my friends whereas in la i found like when i got there everyone was my friend because i got a visa and i was from the uk and i was different and you know brian freeman gave you a visa oh my god and then three months later those people have all disappeared because i'm not offering anyone jobs and i'm unemployed for those three months as well do you know what I mean? So I think it's, you know, it is different. But out there, I think they, I don't think they're necessarily more talented on a, uh, as number for number. You know, say there's a thousand fantastic humans there, super talented. There's a hundred here, but they're choosing out of 10,000. We're only choosing out of a thousand. Do you know what I mean? I'd say it's quite even if you balanced it out. But I would say out there, they're just more hungry. Yeah. And so when I worked for like Tokyo Disney and Royal Caribbean, there's obviously a lot of Americans and I just think their mindset seems a bit more like, great, I'm in a job so I can use that money to pay for another class or get new headshots. Where I think in England, I think we have such a, this is quite a slap statement, so I don't mean it for everyone, but I think we, we go to college for three years and we think, great, that's it. That's all I ever need to train. It's actually like, no, that's like the stepping stones, but you learn so much more when you're actually out there. A hundred percent. When I was, so living in London, when I first started, I remember I had this joke with my friends that we called ourselves the professional dancers who are still training to be professional. Like that was my little inside joke with my friends. I'd be like, there's no other people that I do jobs with or not many that are still training and taking class. Whereas when I went to LA, I'd be in Mark Gidelka's class and then I'd look next to me and I'd see Ivan Kamoyov and Natalie Gilmore who had just been on a world tour with Justin Timberlake and they're still in class and I feel like in UK it does happen more now than it used to you know I don't take class very often anymore like I'm not in London anymore but when I was there full-time I remember I never used to see the people 
who were working, still training to be at the top of their game. Although they're in rehearsals, now I look back at it and I go, okay, they were rehearsing all week. So maybe they didn't want to use that free time to take class. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But in LA, I did find a lot of the working dancers were still in class, you know? Yeah, God, it's such a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because you think you do need to be hungry, but then you need to switch off as well. So it's quite interesting hearing that, because I think everyone thinks the grass is always greener. So they think, right, oh, I want to go to America with maybe not necessarily knowing what to expect or they just see like so you think you can dance or la la land or whatever it is and they're like yeah let's go to america and it will happen i think they take their training more seriously than we do though like if you think of how much we pay what thirty-three thousand for three years dance training here they probably spend that as a child before they even think about going to college going to conventions for, for three years and they're 10 years old you know they're going to conventions every every two weeks and traveling the country to do monsters of hip-hop and pulse obviously we don't have those facilities here we have can you dance now which is fantastic but before you know before can you dance came around we never had those opportunities so i think that because they have all these things that's maybe why they take it more seriously yeah no completely it's, it's very interesting to hear because i think there was definitely a part when i first graduated that i was like yeah i'll go to the states and i think the older i got and the jobs i kept saying yes to jobs and it was great but i think now, obviously, I'm, I'm older than you. I'm 32. So I'm, a, I'm on a different career path than my auditioning days. But I actually booked a, um, a tour with an American company called Feld, who did Disney Live. And that gate crashed an audition when I was in Chicago. I was there on holiday. Found out about an audition from my friend when we was in a club one night. Went to audition the next day and just didn't speak for eight hours of the audition because I didn't know if they would hire an English person. So I was just like, mm-hmm. Mm, mm. and it wasn't till the end and there was three guys left and they were like so tell us about yourself and i was like surprise i'm english <laughs> I'm <laughs> and luckily it was a you is a european tour so i was like yes it worked out but it was a very interesting experience that's crazy isn't it funny the things that we do to make sure we try and get the job yeah it's if i like when i tell my friends who aren't performers like oh i went to an audition like a casting and they threw butters at me and then i went somewhere else and had to act like a sheep and then went to an audition and had to take my top off as soon as i walked in they're like that's like where's hr well i was like yeah. we don't have one <laughs> yeah what's going on it, it is it is bizarre it is madness i am um, my favorite one is i went when i was in, i was so broke in la like it was the biggest hustle of my entire life. And when you're on your own, that struggle feels even harder. Because I had friends there, but no family and stuff like that. So uh, I was just constantly on the equivalent of like spotlight. You know what I mean? Looking for jobs. And uh, I just applied for everything. And I got a response being like, yeah, come to this casting. Uh, they gave me the dress. Bring, swim bring swimwear. You have to dive in a pool. And I was like, I can dive in a pool. I can swim. This is easy. So I get to this casting. And I'd never driven before I moved to L.A., so I, I, when I went there, I bought a car, read a book, drove it around the block a few times, took my test and passed. Like, because it's like a go-kart. The, the rule is don't crash and don't kill anyone. Like, so I passed. So I drove to this casting in downtown, middle of nowhere. Like, it was the most random place. And as I was trying to park my car, I reversed and I hit the car, which was parked behind me. I bumped it. And I was like, oopsie. And I looked and there was a woman in the car and she got out and she gave me the dirtiest look ever. And I was like, I'm so sorry. And she just walked, walked away. And I was like, oh crap. So I pack all my headshots up, get all my stuff. And I walk into this casting, which was like the back of a cheap rundown motel thing. And it had a swimming pool with a diving board. And there's about 60 blokes there in, in speedos, bathers, you know, 
And so you hand in your headshot, you sign in. I must have waited about 45 minutes, pale and ginger in the sun with no sun cream on thinking, I'm about to burn here. Like this is, this is a disaster waiting to happen. And we're going, we're waiting around the corner. And then as you kind of get closer to your turn to do your, your audition, as you say, uh, I can see the people, what they're doing. And there's people doing like triple backflips into this swimming pool off this diving board. And I, all the, all the brief said was dive in a pool. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. So I, f- I watch everyone. I get in, they go, okay, so do your three dives. So I do a normal dive. I do a run and jump and dive. And then I do like this kind of weird looking back dive thing. And it was horrific, the ugliest thing ever. But you know, I, I'm so broke. I got nothing to lose. So I climb out of the pool and the woman auditioning me was the one I crashed into. And I looked at her and I went, hi. And she just gave me the dirtiest look and looked back at her thing. And I was like, Oh, why, why did, did I come? come? <laughs> 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 First of all, I can't dive. <laughs> and then I crash into the casting director or whatever she was. It was like, brilliant. Oh, gosh. But that just goes to show that like, you literally never know who anyone is. Like, when I um, I used to work for Caribbean, sometimes I'd help out at the auditions and I'd be sat registering people and people would be slagging off the audition. Like, I don't even want to be here, but my agent submitted me or I couldn't get a private slots so at the open. And then obviously I then take the forms inside the room and sit on the panel and then they'd, they'd walk in. I'd be like, don't, you can't put that person on a, on a boat for nine months of another cast because they are a terrible human being. <laughs> yeah. I've probably, probably been, been that, that person, person, to be fair. <laughs> I guess that's, you've yeah. got to learn, haven't you? But that, yeah, yeah exactly. Well, that's the whole reason I started my podcast, is that I don't want people to make the same mistakes I did. I was a dickhead when I first started. I was talented, but I was a dick. Like, <laughs> but it took me a long time to learn that. But yeah, I loved your podcast. Yeah. Thank but, you. And, here you go. Go on, go on. No, so once I saw Rosina was on it, I then was like, right. And then obviously there's such an amazing back catalogue on your podcast. I was like, oh, let's keep listening and listening. So you've got some amazing people on here. The first, well, I've had amazing guests, but the first 20 are horrendous because it was like one microphone in the middle of a room with no, no understanding of what I was doing. Pure freestyled it. Like this mic I'm using now is, I never use, I haven't used this in probably over a year. But, you know, it's just, it's a learning process. For me, I, I'm kind of treating it like I treated dance when I first started. You know, it was just a passion and just, okay, constantly try and make it better. And how do I make it better? I research on what's, what makes the sound quality better, how to market it better. And then the better I've got it, the kind of more brave I've been with approaching people to come on it. Whereas at first I was very much like, if I talk to my friends, I'm in a safe space. You know, like if it goes wrong, they'll understand. Or if I say the wrong thing, they'll understand. And now, like last week, I had Marty Gadelka on there, who's like, before I ever knew who he was, realized that he's the reason I wanted to be a dancer because he choreographed Justin Timberlake. And I had him on last week. So that was my first like super milestone, you know? And it's like, now I'm like really approaching the people that I've really wanted on there for a very long time. Like these are like, these are like my auditions now. But my training's done and I'm like, now I'm in my audition phase where I feel confident enough that I can talk to people where I might only get one chance and I'm not afraid about it going wrong. Yeah, um, I want to definitely touch on that some more because with a lot of my podcasts, I ask performers when they have a side passion and obviously taking the courage to pursue that because I think when you tell someone you're maybe not going to go to that audition on that day or you're going to do something else as well, how was it for you? Like, I know you're more so on the creative side and you're teaching and everything. You are still performing, but maybe not auditioning as much. How was it for you when you finally made that decision? Right, I need to, I want to push this more. I want to get more into the teaching aspect. I want to produce this podcast. How was it when you kind of had to make that switch? Um, When I came back from LA, I worked 
intensively for like two years straight like a, I was doing a Kylie I was working with this young artist called Amani at the time who's like it's my favorite thing I've ever done she's like my little sister we kind of got to teach her how to be an artist it was great you know it was it was I was very busy and I did a gig with Anne-Marie for Top of the Pops um, for Sean Niles, a very good friend who choreographed it. And it was one of my favourite gigs I've ever done. Him and Ema Welsh. I was with great dancers and I was like, I'm a dude. Like, this was the one. And we did Top of the Pops and I remember seeing my paycheck when it came in and thinking, I've just danced on one of the biggest TV shows that the UK has ever offered. And I've made less than I would do in two days teaching, but I've done three days work for Top of the Pops. And for me, that was a really big turning point where I was like, I, not that I'm worth more than this, but I didn't feel like I was getting what I was worth then. Do you know what I mean? I was like, it's like people used to buy a house off Top of the Pops. <laughs> like, you know, Top of the Pops used to pay you for the next two years on residuals. And I walked away, I believe, for like two rehearsals and a show. I think it was like 400 and something pounds. And I was like, what on earth is this? Like teaching at a college, I get more than half of that for a day. So it, that was my turning point. And my friend, John Graham, who's, I don't know if you know him. He's one of the, for me, he's dance god. Um, he was kind of like my mentor and like my big brother. And I remember seeing him always turn down dance jobs for teaching. And I never understood why. And that was my turning point. I was like, yo, I'm never going to buy a property from doing three days work for 400 pound and paying for my own travel. And, you know, like it just didn't make sense. So that for me was a huge turning point. I've been teaching since I was 14. So I've always loved teaching. I've, it's always been something I'm really good at. And I always knew that that I never had to really pursue it because it's something that I could always fall back on. But I'm really good at breaking things down and finding different ways to deliver information. Not necessarily that I'm teaching the best moves in the world, but I'm just good at getting the information across. Um, and for me, that was my that was my awakening where I was like, this is dumb. And then it, uh, it happened that my one of my best friends, Jamie, was in the Dream Boys and they needed someone to learn the show in like two days. And I was like, I could do that. I've seen the show. I can learn that easy. And I was like, what's the money? And they told me the money. And I was like, no brainer. I've been dancing for Kylie Minogue for half the price and I could do this. Of course I'll do it. You know? So that was the turning point for me where it went from like, I'm not pursuing auditions. I'm not pursuing that. And I've been doing the Dream Boys now for, this is my fourth year, I think. Yeah, it's my fourth tour. I joined halfway through one year. But my side thing is teaching. And then the podcast was just, I listened to so many about fitness and motivation. And I tried finding ones on our industry and they all seemed, I found a few, there was some, but it was all talking about the, how fantastic it is, which it is, but I don't think that's the message that we should be giving to students going, it's amazing and it's fantastic and it's brilliant and it's the best dream ever because I feel like they should learn how to get through the hard sides of stuff too and they should know the, the reality of what they're choosing because it is, it is fantastic. But to tell you that I've danced for some of the biggest artists in the world and I was still broke, like, you know, if, you, if you're the highest in a firm at Lloyds Bank, you buy a house. If you're the highest, you know, if you're in the premiership footballer, you buy a, four houses. If you're the highest category of a dancer in the country, you're still broke. <laughs> like, you still can't really buy much. So that was like a, a awakening for me is like, I need to use my experience to talk to people. So pursuing the podcast just came from that, really. The understanding of dance wasn't, 
financially supporting me the way I wanted it to. I had to adjust and make other things. And then, okay, I need to educate people on my story and inspire people with the connections I've made. No, yeah, I love that. And I think you just touched on so many things there. And like, the industry is fantastic. But however, like, it is, it's an industry, it's a business. And I think if anything COVID has taught us is that it can be taken away. You could have been the leading lady on the West End last week, but now you are like everyone else. And I think it's performers... I think not only give up, it's like you see your skills on stage and then you're like, right, oh, what else can I do with that? There's nothing else. But there's so much other, there's so many other avenues of work out there which you can do. And sometimes you've got to do something to realise you don't want to do it. Yeah. And I think with with social media, especially like, obviously I'm on it all the time with work, but people live their best hashtag Instagram life when sometimes I actually hate that job. I've had friends that have done epic jobs and absolutely hated it. But you would not know that from social media. It's like, oh my god, this is the best but, job ever. And it's like, mm. it's it's a, it's it's difficult because they can't tell social media that they hate it because then the casting director will see that they're slagging off the job on on social media or whatever. But also, they'll you know it, now it's a part. It's a reflection of you and of your artistry that people will look on there and go oh, they've posted every job they've done for the past six months and how great it is, but they've not mentioned mine. And they'll be offended by that because we're in a profession where we're putting our... We're not just turning up and stamping in and working on someone else's product. We're putting our talent and our skill that we've honed in on for the past 10 plus years. You know, we're putting that into it. So for someone to discredit it, you know, people will take offense to it. So it's about finding, you know, you want to say, yeah, I've had a great time on this job. Thank you for the opportunity. But at the same time, it's not transparent to real life. No, oh, it's like it's, it's, it's a difficult, difficult balance. balance. Yeah, I think with like social media is the best tool for performers. It's a free type of marketing unless you do paid ads. It's just trying to come from a place of adding value and being authentic. Because I think for me, a big thing I try and push is the in-person experience from a performer. So what they give in an audition room, what they give when they're networking needs to translate online. So, or vice versa, you get people that edit this amazing show and have all these amazing pictures and then they turn up on a job and they're always late. They don't talk to other cast members. They don't pick up and retain choreography and there's a massive disconnect. So I'm like, yes, shout about your career and everything, but try and come from like being authentic. So I think sometimes as performers, it's too much salesmen in without being like I can talk about this amazing show I've done but maybe I could be like love working with at choreographer in this show you made me feel comfortable in the audition room or there's ways in which to be authentic and I guess social media is like always evolving and changing so you just got to kind of be on it but I do think it's probably the best tool for performers to mark yeah definitely in the past five years I've seen a huge change in social media I've seen less auditions and more people being booked via social media I remember going to my first cast in LA when they said, how many followers do you have? And I was like, a hundred, like, I don't know. Like, why do you care? Watch me kill the combo, uh, you know? And that was the first insight into the social media world that I saw was, oh, this is gonna be a big deal. Uh, I do think how you portray yourself as a dancer now or as an artist or an entertainer is a massive deal in it. Um, but I also think we need to see the human aspect too. Because just because you've got, you've killed all these class combos or you post half naked sexy bikini pictures, it doesn't mean that you're fun. Like if I've got to spend six months with you on a tour bus, I want to know that you're fun. Like <laughs> I want to know that you're cool and you're kind. Like doing the Dream Boys is my first real time where I've spent like 
we're a family. Like, you always get your tour family when you're on a tour with someone. But normally you stay in a different accommodation or hotels and you get to separate. We live on a tour bus together, like 10 grown men for, like, four years straight. And people have come in and out due to different reasons. But the one thing which I never think about really is even if they're not the best at what they do, I go, I love being with them. And that's always my forethought before I think about, but can they kill the combo? Do you know what I mean? And when I'm actually with those people, I care. My friend Shane, he's one of my best friends in the world. He's the shittest dancer you've ever seen in your life. I tell him all the time he's crap. I just spoke to him earlier and I was like, I'm learning tap dancing, I'm rubbish. He went, now you know how I feel. But he's, he's there because he's beautiful and we love spending time with him. Do you know what I mean? Like he is the most amazing person to spend all that time with and that's why he's there. And I feel like so many people would go, well, I should be there because I kill the combo. But you don't bring anything else to the, in the package that evolves, you know, that fits that. Yeah, completely. I think the importance of having a network, not only for getting jobs, but a network of supportive people that help to push you. And like I said, that you want to be around because if you are spending six months on a cruise ship or on a tour, or even in the West End, when you're sharing a changing room with someone, you want to be with people that you want to be with and that support you and push you and like I think that's for me one of the things I wish I'd known when I was younger was the importance of networking because I'm quite a happy upbeat person anyway but I think it's just seeds you plant in a year like now might not blossom for like another year like so connections you make now during this time can still actually be fruitful and lead to work once the industry picks back up it's all about nurturing those connections and relationships yeah, a hundred percent. Well, what I like now is I'm seeing within this time, I'm seeing lots of people do these live chats. You know, this is everyone's now a podcaster or an interviewer, and I love it because it's like, okay, cool. This is going to create for us who want to do this full time a bigger demand for it. And then when Dance World comes back around and theaters open, you know, the people who are playing leading lady are no longer going to want to interview every night they're going to be doing their shows and there's going to be more of demand opens the door for people to go who else is still doing this and we are it's fantastic but it is lovely to see people adapt and go okay now with this time i'm going to do something new i'm going to step outside of what i do and create new avenues and plant new seeds like i see more people messaging me now who i've never interacted with because of the podcast or because i teach online classes and i'm building relationships with people that i never would have probably done if it wasn't for this so they're planting their seeds that are blossoming do you know what i mean because then we're building relationships and coming up with new ideas and new things yeah i think i've never spent so much time like to see what my friends and family are doing so i think my um your foot's always on the accelerator. That's what Rosina always says as well. Like as a freelancer, as a hustler, you're just always non-stop. So I think now everyone's, instead of just swiping through their phones and liking, they're actually engaging, having that Watch conversation. It. Yeah, and supporting, which I think, I hope that's one thing that carries over from this uncertain time is how we are giving people time. Mm -hmm. So you, you consult people for social media, right, and branding. How does that work? Like, what? So, for my listeners, if they think my social media is crap and I need help, what, what, what do you offer to them? Yeah, no, of course. So, for when I worked agency side um, and training in marketing, I also realised as freelancers we are businesses and we need to adapt a lot of these skills. Um, like, your dancing, your singing, your acting will secure you the work, but the way in which you market yourself is the packaging. It's your CV, it's how you dress, it's how you network, it's your online presence. And I think 
so often there's such a disconnect with performers because they get an agent and then they just think, right, okay, I'll go work part time. <clears throat> excuse me, until my until my agent gets me an audition or. But it's like, <clears throat> there's so much more to it now. So what I tend to do is look at people's personal brand, see what skills they have, what jobs are hiring the, those skills. So how do they position themselves in this industry? What skills maybe do they need to learn? How do they unpack their CV online? Because obviously, as we know, social media is such a search engine now. So it's making sure you are found for the things you want to be found for. It's then making sure that you know how to maybe create the content. So if you are doing your own show how do you create an eye-catching poster and do a targeted Facebook advert to get those people that are going to buy you uh, buy the tickets to your show so it's kind of individual for each person um I just start the grassroots on their personal brand or their product and go from there looking at their imagery their headshot like I always say to performers your headshot is your logo so it needs to be strong you need that Nike swoosh or those McDonald's golden arches that's your headshot so we need to like get photos that show the casting team who you are yeah 100% no that's dope because we never had that growing up I mean, like, I didn't even get feedback. Well, here in the UK, I didn't even get feedback from agents on pictures. They were just like, yeah, cool. Like, get headshots. In LA, they would send me four specific photographers that they liked me working with. They would, you know, they would they would help me choose my photos. Because, obviously, musical theatre in the UK, you only have one agent. But in the as commercial, you can have as many as you like. In America, you're only allowed one. So, I was with Block, and they were amazing. So, when I get my headshots in... I would go into the office and sit there for an hour with them as they'd flick through 400 photos of me or whatever and narrow it down to their favourite 10 and then we discuss it and they break down why I should have each photo. And, you know, and there's a team of people doing that with me, not my own thing. So the fact that you are willing to offer that service to people is dope because I, I, I don't know if it still happens with commercial agents. I don't really deal with them really anymore. But when I was coming up, that never happened. They would just be like, yeah, I like that. Or no, I don't. But it's like, cool, I've, I've paid for it. Like, I can't get another one. <laughs> <laughs> and I think for me, I still get the same buzz as performing on stage. And I, I think we put so much time and effort to build our career that it's this one thing sometimes you need to tweak. Like, you could be the best actor or actress in the country, but if you're not getting seen by the right people, you're possibly going to give up or not get the jobs that you deserve. So it's... Sometimes it is just one thing and for some people it's like, oh, what you're saying makes you happy and what you want to do does not match your online presence or you in person at all. But yeah, it's really interesting. I think, I don't, I, well, I don't get annoyed a bit, but I find some people now learn the word content and they're like, content, content, God, they're throwing it around because it's like a trigger word they've learned. And I'm like, okay, but like I've been in, I've been in this for like five years now and I'm like, Sometimes it's slapping your name on something is not enough. And I think you do it fantastically with the ins and outs because you always throw credit to the people you get on. You ask the questions that people want to know. And I think whether it's because of you teach at the college, you, you get a lot of people younger in the industry as well who want to start careers. But then you also get the people they wouldn't have access to. Like you said, yeah. you, you wouldn't be able to speak to like a choreographer from like... Justin Timberlake or something, just be like, oh, I'm just going to jump on Twitter and tweet them. Like That wouldn't have happened even a couple of weeks ago, where now I think is the perfect time. And you've done a great job of like being that kind of middleman for that. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the conversation agent. <laughs> but I'm not taking any commission. <laughs> <laughs> so what has two years of podcasting taught you? Kind of taught me about listening. Like... 
I, I've always thought I'm a good listener, but I'm always I've always been a better talker than I have been a listener. Um, I, I'm, my mum used to say when I was growing up, I had verbal diarrhea, and I still have. Um, but for me now, I really try and when I hear, you know, when I'm interviewing someone, uh, I, I ask a question and I don't ask a question necessarily wanting a specific answer. I'm looking for them to give me another piece of information that I can pull off that I didn't really know about them, you know? So if I say, so why do you dance? I don't want them to, I'm not listening for, because it's amazing and I love it. Like I'm waiting for them to go, well, because I, I had one this week, Eddie Morales, uh, I broke my ankle so I couldn't be a professional baseball player. How did you break your ankle? You know, like, and, and those kind of things, they're the things that I've learned. And I've also learned that everyone's different. And I kind of knew that anyway, because I, I broke the formula of becoming a dancer. I didn't stick out dance college. I left after six weeks and was more successful within a year than the majority of the college were within three years of training and after. I knew the formula wasn't necessarily how it had to be, but my favorite thing is hearing how different everyone's journey is. I don't necessarily do a q and A. I kind of get like a biography. You know, I, I, want, I don't want them to be able to, I don't want it to be a Google search. What should you do to be a dancer? You should take class. What classes should I take? These classes. I want to hear that person's story. So then if someone can relate to someone's journey, one listener, then that might give them a hope or a bit of guidance, a bit of leeway. Um, one of my favorites I've ever done was with Lizzie Goff. Um, I'm sure you know who Lizzie is. And she was like my second episode. So that it's an awful quality audio sound. But the conversation, it was... Even having it, I've known Lizzie f since I was 15, I'm 29. Um, and I found out stuff about Lizzie that I never would have imagined. Like how that she's been depressed, she suffers with anxiety, she has to go on yoga retreats to cheer up. And, and I was like, you're depressed, you're Lizzie Goff. Like, you're unstoppable. You can do any dance job in the world that you want to do in any genre of dance. What do you mean you're not happy doing all these amazing jobs? And for me, that was an eye opener and I was like, wow, if only people who are unemployed could hear that getting you a job might not be the cure. Like, you know, like, and those things are the things that inspire me the most. And I think that's so lovely because it's coming from such an authentic place. So, like, thank you for being so, like, honest and transparent, which I think is great. And I, and like you said, I think no one's journey is the same. There's not one, like, cookie-cutter mould, like, which I think, yeah, so often people are like, oh, how do I get to do what you do? I want to do this. And I'm like, but you can't say what worked for you like you couldn't say to someone go to a a mainstream college for six weeks drop out go to a different college do this like that that would yeah. not emulate exactly what you did which i think it's so important and then so often we just hear the success stories of someone in that show or back in dancing but there's a whole journey to get there and there's a whole journey after that because yeah. you've got to find more work yeah 100 percent. but it's the same as theater like I've been I've been so hungover for shows, but when I'm on stage, they don't know. But as soon as I'm backstage, I'm vomiting a bucket before I get back on, and the people in the audience don't know. And I feel like in the in this industry, that's the same thing that we're sold. We're sold the on stage, but we're never sold the backstage. We're never told the reality. And I kind of wanted this to be a journey backstage and beyond, you know, like. And that's how I always saw it. Like, oh, all these jobs are going to make me really happy. No, I've done some of the best. I danced for Justin Bieber. It's the worst job I've ever done. Like, I hated every second. Like, it doesn't justify the job or, you know, it doesn't make you as a human. Yeah, and I think what's so good there is the fact that, like, you had to do that job to then maybe realise that's not the journey I want to pursue and continue to do. You did it, you learned from it, you grew, and then you're like, actually, 
I don't want to do that. Um, there's a really, I don't, obviously you probably know who Tim Ferriss is, but he does, um, he has a book um, called The Four Hour Work Week, which is some of it we can't take on board because of the type of work we do, but some stuff I really resonated. And one is the 80-20 rule where like um, 80% of your hassle and depression will probably come, come from the same 20% of your life. Or, or 80% of your income will probably come from the same 20% of clients. So it's working out, actually, instead of trying to impress that other 80% of people, I'm just going to invest those time in those 20 that give me what I need. And that, for me, yeah. was such an eye-opener. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't need to go to that audition because I'm going because I feel the industry's perception is I should go to this audition or I'm going to go to this audition because I think that resonates with me more than just it's not the... the it's a new choreographer, it's not someone established. So I think that yeah. for me was a really good... Have you got any books that have inspired you or is there anyone that is kind of an inspiration to you? Um, Books-wise, that's inspired me. It's nothing to do with dance essentially but it's uh, by a guy called Aubrey Margus and it's called Own the Day, Own Your Life and uh, basically he's saying your intention should be on the day that you're in and not beyond because if you can't overcome that day and make that day better or do that day the best it can be you're not gonna get further than that you know like so many people go in a year's time or in three years time I want to be here well cool worry about the next worry about that day what you're going to do to aim to get there what baby steps are you going to take to get there you know and that that was one of the greatest ones for me and i really took on board to not think about where i'm going to be next year or in two years or in three years time or even in a month i just want to make sure that today i've done something productive and it's aiming towards the goals that you know i've i've thought about what i say i set a goal for a year's time i'm not just thinking about that goal and how i get there i'm thinking about every day on the way there the things i implement that are going to add towards that journey and that's one of the best things that i've got from i would say a book and i tell everyone to watch it if you're into it's mainly about health and nutrition the book is but i kind of just carried it over as a lifestyle you know and he has a great thing on their way so he owns a company called on it and what he does with his his employees is they uh in the middle of the day whenever they want so the, he's got an on-site masseuse and people if they're having a really crap day or they're stressed or something they're not feeling it they can go and get a massage that is on his dime is paid for by his company and they're getting paid for that because he believes that giving them that bit of something when they come back to work they'll thrive on so instead of keeping them there for eight hours being like i can't wait to get out of here they can get three hours in and go, do you know what, I'm a, I need a break, I'm going to get a massage, and then come back and work extra hard. And what he found is that people then want to stay overtime and work f for beyond their hours to, to give back to him, to make his job, and they're better at their job and they're more passionate about it. And I've just tried getting those things to carry over into this. So even if I'm choreographing a show and I'm in a rehearsal with people, say they're being paid to be there from 10 till 8, or I don't know, 9 till 5, if by two o'clock I think we're good, you can all go home. Like, you're still going to get paid to five. I'm not going to keep you here because it's on the books. I'm rewarding you. You've bust your ass. If, if at 11 o'clock you're all fried chipmunks, I'm going to be like, everyone go away for an hour. Get a coffee. Have a cigarette. Do what you need to do. Come back refreshed and let's try again. Don't keep grilling people and beating them down. To I, I, And those are the things I've learned from that book. And that's probably my favorite book that I've ever... I've never read it. It's audiobook. I listen to it. But that's my favorite one because it's just it's about how you treat people and then 
building your own, building yourself, but one step at a time and not putting too much pressure on yourself. I love that. I'm also just gonna turn the light on because I feel like I look a bit like Morticia Adams. So I'm gonna turn that, I've got this lamp, so I'm just gonna turn that down. Um, and I think <laughs> having goals is um, so important that I think as performers, sometimes we don't necessarily see the value in that. And I think what I love what you said there was if you've got something um, planned for a year's time, you're doing actionable things now within that year to get you closer to it. So you've got that drive and determination, but you're not just keep thinking when this happens or in a year's time. Because I think if you keep saying in a year's time, when this happens, you don't know when that's going to be. So I love the fact there that you said you had goals but you set off for kind of like actionable things in the middle. Cause I think sometimes we fixate so much on that end goal and we almost don't see how to get there or you, some amazing doors open on your journey to that goal. So you may still get there, but you're just going to go this way round as opposed to this mm -hmm. way. Uh, uh, choreographer Ivan Kamoyov said to me when we were in rehearsals once, there's more than one multiple of 12. And I was like, there's like more than one way to make 12. And I was like, Oh yeah. He was like, it doesn't need to be like, do you know what I mean? It doesn't need to be threes. Like, you can just have all ones. You can do, like, and he's like, it doesn't have to be the same route. You'll still get there. He's like, take different ways. I was like, because he was just trying to get us on like one side of the stage to the other. And I was just being really generic and going, well, we should do this. And he was like, but why? You know, and he was just trying to make me think of a way to create something new. Like, to do something that I wouldn't have just automatically done. To create a new way of traveling across the, across the stage. And I was like, you know, he's like, try this way. Go to the back and go to the front. Go to the front and go to the back. You know, try it on the floor. Try jumping. Try doing this. And we created a whole thing by him just making me think differently about how I'm going to get to that spot. And that was his way of, like, giving it as an analogy. And I feel like it's the same with goals. You know, like it was like my journey in dance college. You know, you don't need to finish the three years to be a professional. You know, there's a different route for everyone. And I think what is um, important is finding happiness and being content in the decisions you make as well. Because you had the courage then to think, right, this is not for me, this three-year journey at college. You owned it and then moved on and you grew from it. Well, I think sometimes we find it quite hard to think, oh, no, this is what I'm meant to do to get to this job, but the industry is forever changing. So I think that's very interesting. So on that note of inspiration and goals, do you have a, um, a quote or a mantra that you live by? So for me, something I always think is risk versus reward. Is the risk of doing something worth the reward? If it is, great, I'm gonna do it. If it isn't, I'm not gonna do it. So for you, is there anything you kind of have to keep yourself in check with or say or anything like that? I have a few. Um, one is say what you mean and mean what you say. And then no matter what happens, no matter if the worst possibility happens, you know that you are, you really, you are true to yourself. Cause uh, for me, there's nothing worse than like maybe going, Oh, I, I don't really want to do that, but I'm going to, I'm going to say it and I'm going to do it and I'm going to be that way. And then it not happening. Cause then I'm going to be more annoyed that I didn't be true to me and I'll be like it's because I wasn't authentic whereas if you're you say what you mean and we mean what you say and it's authentic and it goes wrong it doesn't matter because that means you wouldn't have been truly happy with it anyway like you were true to your decision and you were true to your morals that you stand by so for me that's one of my favorites which my friend Ricky Alvarez he he taught me it when I was in LA and I was I was at a really low point and he taught me that and he's like just say what you mean and mean what you say in everything and I was like yeah, you know what? I might annoy people. I might upset some people, but I know that I stuck with what I believed in that moment was the right thing to do. And that's probably my favorite. And then my mum, she's always said to me, 
what's the worst that can happen? You know, like, so I'd be like, Mum, uh, I've got two auditions. I'm not going to make it to them both. Uh, what should I do? She'd be like, just say yes and try and make them both happen. And I'd be like, but I can't. And she'd go, what's the worst that can happen? And I'd be like, someone will be annoyed at me. And she went, but they might not. You know, like, and that would be a thing. She'd be like, why are you trying to find the negative in this thing when you could find the positive? You could say yes to both auditions. You could attend both auditions and you could get both jobs. Instead of going, but what if I don't get it? What if I annoy someone? What if I upset someone? And that was the kind of thing that she always instilled in me with what's the worst that can happen? No one's going to die. You know, and those are my kind of two things that I really try and stand by. And I wish I'd always, I wish I'd done it longer. <laughs> yeah, no, the same, because I think we are, we're in such an industry, which is, um, there's something like vanity metrics, isn't it? With how you look, how you hold yourself, who you talk to, what auditions you go to. And it's, it takes, and that's one of the best things that um, comes with age. So anyone who's listening, who's a younger dancer, do stick with it. Because I think as you get older, you realise you're worth more or what doesn't or does resonate with you and such a great power comes with saying no to things it just takes a while to get to that point i think yeah 100 percent. i've said no to some of the biggest jobs of the year and it you know it breaks my heart to do it but i know it's for the right reason you know like it's because the 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 money isn't right or they don't want us to they want us to pay for our own travel and i'm like like i want to do that thing but i know in my gut that it's not it's not the right step towards what i believe in uh, that's because so, my friend Marissa, she's like um, a voiceover artist from New York, now lives in London, um, and she's done massive voiceover campaigns for um, like Wendy's, Starbucks, Target, and now over here. And obviously, at the moment, industry standards with money are fluctuating. We totally get that. But a voiceover job that she could record in her home studio, like she normally would do, they're trying to cut the budget drastically, and she's a bit like. I understand if this was a massive shoot where you needed loads of crew and they can't stand next to each other at the moment. But she's like, I can record this at home as it is now. Like, so she would say no or push back to her agent and say, well, can you speak to them and be like, this is not okay. Because it's hard, isn't it? Trying not to, doing what you love and trying not to dilute the industry and your own worth as well is, that's such a tricky thing to juggle. I think, especially as a younger dancer, when you're so eager to learn and get out there. So what advice would you give to someone who's maybe listening, who is a graduate, who's had their training, not necessarily cut short, because hopefully colleges will open again, but what advice would you maybe give to some grads that are having a bit more of a tricky time? Um... For me, it was find someone that you can trust who's done what you want to do. Like, I, I was really lucky that I found when I left college and I was hustling, trying to get a job, I found some really great mentors. And anything that I didn't know the answer for or that my mum couldn't answer because she wouldn't understand the industry we were in, I would go to the people in front of me who have done, I'd go to the people above me that have done what I want to do and I'd get their advice, you know, there's so many times where I'd ring Emma Walsh or John Graham or I'd message him and go, what do I do? This is opportunity to come up. Should I do it? Hell no. Go and teach instead. Okay. Like, you know, even though my heart's in it, but I wasn't educated enough at the time or experienced enough to know the right decision. You know, I remember when I, when I was in college, I did an Alicia Dixon music video for free. And there was about 150 people on set. And it was for Rich and Tone. At the time, I didn't know who Rich and Tone were. And I never even considered that I wasn't getting paid. I just knew I was going to be on a music video. And I had no one, I had no one to tell me any that it was wrong. I had no one to tell me what's right and wrong. You know what I mean? I just knew that I was going to be on a video. And at the time I was so eager. I was like, this is the best thing ever. And now 
if someone said they were going to do that, if they were going to do that, I'd be like, what are you doing? You're an idiot. They can afford you, you know, but that's because I had no guidance. So my advice would always be to someone like if you don't know the right answer or even if you've got a doubt, find someone who you can ask. Like there's going to be people willing to ask. I answer every DM that messages me from a dancer or performer without fail. I will give you the best information I possibly can. It might not be, I'm not saying it's God's word, (laughs) but it's my opinion. That might not work in your favor forever, but if it was me, that's what I would do, you know? Yeah, I think having a mentor or someone, whether it's an officially mentor, like someone you pay or there's someone you can reach out to, I think having a mentor or a coach is so important in our industry so you can be kept accountable to your goals and your vision so you can offload when you need you can ask those questions that can make the difference between you making a mistake or making the best decision of your life so I'm I'm glad you said that because I think so many performers maybe don't see the value in having a mentor to start with well they finished their three years training that they paid for right yeah they got everything they need. They got all the tools. They're ready. <laughs> exactly. And like I think some people might be thinking mentors or someone that's gonna like get crystals and go around your chakras. Like it's not. It's just someone who's gonna help keep you in check and keep you in line. And I think that's lovely probably for graduates to hear to think, ah, oh, there are people out there who I can talk to. Yeah, like I'm mentoring a dancer now. Um and I feel like people may get the misconception of what a mentor can be. I'm not telling him what, what decisions he has to make. At the moment, we I started mentoring him before the lockdown happened. And now during, and the deal was that he would just make sure that he takes two classes a week that are aiming towards his goals. And he'd send me one freestyle video a week. Obviously, because the crazy times, they've adapted. Now I just check in every few days. Are you healthy? Are you happy? Are you still working towards the goal that you had? Obviously, you can't do it the way you do. Yes, I am. He'll send me a video of him dancing. I'll be like, that's a great job dancing. Maybe try and execute it this way, that way. What else are you doing besides that? Are you, are you stretching? Are you, are you, you know, you want to be the, the hunky male dancer. Are you doing push-ups? Are you working out? What, what else are you doing to that? A mentor doesn't need to be a person that's teaching you steps or teaching you right and wrong. It just might be to help you keep accountable. Yeah, completely. I have similar clients um, who are performers that struggle with social media and sometimes it may be a performer who is a bit older, who social media wasn't so prevalent back then. They didn't need to have a social media presence and it's again keeping them accountable, setting parameters to be like, what can we do to make you feel okay with posting? What can we do to make the authentic you come across online so when you do post you don't think oh god this is too too sales messaging or it's not me it's just so yeah i have people as well who it could just be like right i've seen you've not posted anything this week let's see what you've done what zooms have you done what webinars have you done what value can you add and i think that's the thing it's so important to have a mentor so i'm really glad that you said that actually because i'm like yes people it's not just me telling people to get mentors there's other people as well yeah hundred. What, what advice would you have for someone for a graduate Oh gosh, Um, I think the first one would be if something doesn't line up, it's okay because there's some jobs I really wanted that I didn't get um, and then another amazing opportunity presented itself that I couldn't have done if I had done that job. So I think it's okay to not get the job and I, I think learn from your mistakes. I think like if you go to an audition and don't get it, 
Sometimes you, there's no rhythm or rhyme. You won't know what the casting panel thinks. You won't know, so don't get in your head about it. If you rock up and, like you said, they wanted everyone to do a, a triple Arabian pass in their dive and you can't, you can learn from that. So you... I, def I definitely can't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's just like, right, I didn't have the skills that were needed for that job. Cool. End of. There's no emotion attached to it. I didn't have the right skills for it. Move on. And I think sometimes when I first auditioned in, I was always trying to read the panel. Are they looking up? Are they scribbling? Or do they want what that what what that guy's offering? And so it's like, no, don't 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 read into it. Get out of your head and just kind of learn from your mistakes, learn to grow. Yeah, yeah, no, it's dope. Yeah, I think just being like you, it just all comes down to being you and be the best version of you. Don't try and deviate from that because you know eventually they'll find out that's not you because you're going to spend three months on a job with them. They're going to go, that's not the person we saw. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So what is success to you then? If you had to sum up success now, how would you say what success is? It's changed very dramatically. Um, when I first wanted to be a dancer, success was dancing behind an artist and making money from it. That happened very quickly and I realized it wasn't life changing. It was amazing, but it never changed me as a human. Um, when I was in LA, I, I lost my brother to suicide and that was a huge game changer for me. I had very little connection with him. I can't even remember the last time we spoke. I probably told him he was a dickhead. Like, and it, uh, I was doing it as I was arriving on set for a vodka commercial in the most beautiful place in the desert you could ever imagine. And it was the worst moment of my entire life. And it was a massive wake up call to what is my priority? And what is life to me? And it made me realize that it wasn't dance. Like, no matter what job came, I would change everything in my entire dance career for that not to have happened. You know what I mean? Every amazing decision, every amazing thing that ever happened to me, I would take it all back just to make sure that I could give him a, one more hug, you know, or to have one more moment. And that was a huge defining moment for me. That was, I came home, ah, oh, that's coincidence, and my dad just signed in, what's up, dad? Um, so when I lost my brother, that was a massive game changer for me. So I was just like, I moved back from LA, and I was just like, I don't want to be distant from my friends and my family. I don't want to be the other side of the world on my own. Like, I want to be able to go, oh, like, if something happens, I can be there. Like, and that was a big part of me coming home. And now happiness to me is just, I guess, being social and being with people. It's not jobs. It's not money. That doesn't define happiness to me. Happiness to me is quality time and, like, sharing a laugh. You know what I mean? Having a moment. It, it's changed dramatically. But before that, it was like dancing on the biggest stages in the world. But would I remove dancing in front of 150,000 people? Fuck yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'd take it back in a second. Now it would be to have quality moments with the people I care about. No, I love that. And thank you for your honesty with that. Because obviously yeah, that's such a subject. So no, I think, I think that's lovely to hear that there's so... Obviously... Dancing is one of the best things in the world, like having that feeling of people being on live on TV or stage, people clapping and traveling the world is fantastic. But there's so many other amazing things that happen in life and to you as a human that dance becomes part of, but it shouldn't necessarily dictate every, every steer in your life. A hundred percent. Well, it's, it, it's like this, like lockdown at the moment, dancers and performers are like, oh, I've lost my job, like, you know, I'm not working, my favourite thing has been taken away from me. And my perspective is it, I get to spend every day with my fiancé and my best friend, like, you know what I mean? She's both those things. And the rest of the year, I spend three days a week with her, two, three days a week. 
and now I'm getting to spend every day with her. So I'm trying to find the positive in it. And to me, that's happiness. Everyone's like, this is crap. Like, I can't wait to get back on stage. And I'm like, mm, I-, I can't wait. But at the same time, like, this isn't bad. Like, I'm with my favorite person in the world. This isn't a bad thing. Like, like I'm not in a prison cell. Like, <laughs> I guess if you're locked in on your own or you're with people you don't like, then it might not be very enjoyable. But for me, I'm like, this is, I, I keep making a joke and calling it my early retirement. I'm like, if this is what retired life feels like, I can't wait. You know what I mean? Like, because granted, we're not going out and doing amazing things, but I'm getting to spend quality time with the person I care about, which I don't get to do in my normal life. I get all the other amazing things. Like, maybe, are you similar? Like, it's my 30th coming up. And before all this happened, everyone kept saying to me, do you want a party? And I was like, do not throw me a party. Like, I couldn't think of anything worse than 50 people in a room going, happy birthday. Because to me, that's, that's, that's every day. Like, going, that's, that's every day on stage is finishing a number, doing a bow and everyone cheering. That's not personable for me. Like, I want something where it's intimate and it's just us. And it's not loads of people giving it a big show and a facade. Because that means Kane the performer's out, not Kane the person. No, definitely. I think, for me, leading up to 30, I was in, like... I think society's perception of a 30-year-old is you have to have a house, a family. And I was, I was like, ah, I don't, especially in the arts, we keep going as long as we can. And I was like, but then 30 came and nothing happened. I spent it with like my family, my friends. Like you said, I had more of like intimate dinners, things like that. Randomly went to the cat cafe as well, as you do. Um, and then like, <laughs> I felt like being in the arts and on the other side of 30, I felt like every time I walked past someone, they'd be like, hmm. Like, like I'd got there, like a sign of yeah. appreciation. I was like, you, yes. You survived. Yeah, exactly. And it's you funny survived. now that I'm out, because I think um, people listening, I find when you're a fresh grad or you're a seasoned veteran, they're probably, um, probably your biggest two areas of employment because you're new or you're like been in the industry for ages. When you're in that middle limbo land, you've, people have pulled you in enough to know if they want you. You're not fresh enough, but you're not maybe old enough for the next bracket. So you're in this weird place. But now I'm 32. I'm like, I'm getting roles that are, we need someone for a commercial who's 30 or above. And I'm like, okay. Like, and okay. There's, there's less of us. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, all my friends are becoming um, directors, choreographers, producers. So the phone, I don't actively audition anymore, but sometimes a phone may ring. When? Yes. And I'm like, yes. Yes to being 30 and above. So Kane, you're, you're going to flourish once you hit 30. <laughs> I can't wait. Do you like auditions and castings? Oh, gosh. Um... It's been a while since I've actually been to one. I used to love going to see my friends um, and catching up with people. I absolutely love meeting new people and chatting. But I think it took me quite a while to to get it into my body like, okay, this is only part of what I do. I think I used to put so much emotion into it, being like, oh God, if I if I don't get this job, what's next? Because my last name's Body, I was always in that first bloody group to dance. <laughs> always and I, I pick up choreography quick but I need more of a second group kind of vibe just so I can yeah. finish it off so I'd always be like oh god um but one time they did miss off my name and I had to go at the end and I hated going at the end so I'd rather go oh, that's first. worse well half the time then half the room's left so there's no atmosphere the panel's over it they're over it if your last name's like Walker or something by the time they get to you they're like oh again <laughs> exactly and apologies to any walkers who are listening keep going i, I only said walker because someone called morgan walker just joined us i'm very sorry morgan <laughs> you're gonna smash you smash the industry morgan um yes 
<laughs> so auditions, yeah, I'm, once I kind of got it in myself that I was like, oh, okay, like, this is what I have to do. It was interesting, though, because I would always do better with, um, more so like with when I did Tokyo Disney and Royal Caribbean, maybe more the technique-based American choreographers who didn't know who I was. So I would get, I would get the job and I'd be like, oh, and then the jobs that were more like industry and namey over here, I would maybe get to a certain part and cut. So then I started thinking, you know what, I'm just going to go with the jobs I'm getting for now, hone my trade and then come back. And then when I got the voice in 2014, I think that's when it was, 2014, like the one with Ricky, I had just, been, I went to New York for two months to take class. And then I come back, I learned the skills I didn't have. So then that audition, I was like, if I don't get this, I have to spend thousands, like <laughs> this is mine. And yeah. it paid off. I was like, yes. Um, See, how about you auditioning? What do you think? Yeah, you know, I loved auditioning. I genuinely loved it. Even when I wasn't right for the job, I feel like growing up, I played a lot of sports. I, I played football a lot and rugby a bit. And it just felt like the nearest thing to that. Like it was competitive. Do you know what I mean? And I, I, I hate rehearsals and I love the show. Like, you know, some people love the creative process and rehearsals. I despise being in a rehearsal. Like I, I hate it when they go again from the top. I'm like, I got it. Like, <laughs> let's just do it. We're good. Like I, I hate rehearsals. I hate being somewhere longer than I need to be. I'm, I'm not very patient with stuff like that. I'm a bit like, it's good. We're finished. Let's go. Um, so I love the show. I love people. I love that adrenaline rush and auditions kind of felt like that for me. It was like a balance of like, okay, I get to perform because I'm trying to show off me. Uh, there's a competitiveness because I'm against the other people in the room. But also, again, it comes back to that. I'm a social bunny. I'm, I get to catch up with 50 people that I maybe haven't seen since the last audition six months ago. You know, for me, I thrive in those environments. Like, and everyone I used to see get they take them very seriously, which obviously you should as respect to the panel and stuff like that. But to me, that was my time to let my hair down. Like I really used to embrace the fun of it. Like, uh, I wouldn't say I mess around, but I'm like, let's make this as enjoyable as it can. Cause I hear horror stories from girls and their auditions. Like, so, and the boys of ones were never like that for me. Like, do you mean like, I remember doing X Factor auditions for Brian Freeman and everyone being like, ha, ah, ah, ha, like panicking. And I was just like, but what's the worst that's going to happen? Like, you're just going to go wrong. Like, you know what I mean? It's going to be fine. And then I remember doing uh, the audition I did for X Factor just before he gave me my visa. And I kind of had a, I knew that it wasn't for the job, this audition. It was whether he was going to help me with my visa. And like, he tested me and he was like, Kane, come to the front. And I was like, uh-oh. And it was already dancing like, kind of uh jazz funk kind of choreography which definitely isn't my forte and then he was like take off your top and i was like oh crap <laughs> and i take off my top so i'm or then i'm feeling a little bit vulnerable then i'm like this isn't my happy space and then i remember doing the choreography and the dancer called jack mckenzie went to me yes live kane and honestly it just made me laugh like and it brought a whole light to the whole situation because i was like even my friends aren't taking me seriously like why am i like just dance like I don't know. It doesn't need to be a stressful, horrible environment. It can be fun. I don't know. I thrive in it. And I think they're such an education, aren't they? Like to know what to wear, what not to wear, what song to sing, not what, well, like what other song is everyone else singing, like to see your friends. I think auditions, again, we always focus on the end part when actually the performing part is probably what, only 20% of our career? It's all those, all the stuff in between. So yeah, the auditions are definitely a, um, a funny thing. I think unless you've been to them, like those who aren't in the arts, when you try and explain them, they're like, you had to do what? 
And you're like, yes, I did. I think when when it comes to auditions, first of all, make sure you show up on time. That's a big factor. They'll know if you walk in late. That'll probably decide there and then if you get the job. Like, if you can't make her on time for a one audition, why are they going to trust you for a week's rehearsals and a bunch of shows? They're never going to trust you. Secondly, are you presentable? Yeah? When you go to an audition, you should be showing people that you're not qualified for the job. You should be showing them that you're ready for the job, that you're already on the job. I used to do a research into every audition I'd go to and figure out what kind of clothing the choreographer puts people in on jobs or what they would wear for the show that I'm auditioning for. So when I auditioned for Jason Derulo, I went on his last performance and I took the entire outfit from uh, Ivan Kamoyov, what he wore, and I wore that to the audition. And I studied the routine and the musicality, so I had some sort of advancement on everyone else. Do you know what I mean? So be prepared. Don't don't go in and go, this is me and my joggers in the top and you can make me look how you want. Give them the package that they're auditioning 100 people for, then you've jumped ahead of everyone. Yeah. So if you can be on time get that bit of advancement already show them that you're not a robot don't just be there super serious beginning to end because they probably go they're boring i don't want to spend a week with them they're great at dancing but that's a robot you don't want to show them that but also you want to be respectful enough that you don't distract they probably want to see that you smile when you stood on the side that you're not stressing out going over choreography they probably want to see you give someone a hug when you walk in the room and smile at someone or wave at someone. It shows that you're a human and all these things are going to carry over to the people watching you, right? As opposed to coming in going, I'm a nervous wreck, I've just got to get the choreography. They've got a, week's, they've got a week to teach you that choreography. They're not trying to find out choreography in a day. <laughs> That's so true. And I think personality traits are so employable as well, whether it's like you said, you're punctual, you're, um, you're upbeat, you're, you're well at, good at networking because they might need someone who is a dance captain for the tour or a company manager or to be the swing. And I think personality traits are so employable. And one of the jobs when I used to work um, in social media for Western musicals, one of my jobs was to go through the cast members social media to see, oh, wow. yeah, not necessarily to see who had the biggest following, but to see who had the most wholesome online presence. So if there is a um, an interview or an Instagram takeover or a radio opportunity, we're going to pick the cast members that we think would represent the company and themselves the best. If all your pictures are you drunk in freedom hanging off the bar, like you're not, you're not going to get that. <laughs> like one or two is fine. But if it's just literally scrolling, scrolling through, like you're not going to get those opportunities so if you are a nice person and you are cheery and you you're a cheerleader for people like it's okay to show that i think a hundred percent but let's not pretend that the choreographer and the creative director ain't going to freedom after the show as well let's not get it twisted and be too prim and proper because that's the other side of it where you look like a robot again and there's no personality and you know some some that's part of networking as well like i know i'm not saying don't post that all over social media but don't not do that. When I when I first went to LA, I never went to parties. I never drank. I never did anything. And I was working for Nicole Scherzinger, and we were in Malta doing this big show for MTV. And all the other cast every night with her would go and have drinks, and I would never go because I would be I didn't drink. I was like I'm not I'm not having the possibility of waking up with a hangover and being crap tomorrow in rehearsal or on stage. Not a chance in hell. And I remember one morning bumping into them at breakfast. And I'd finished breakfast and I was on my way to the gym. And Nicole said, as I walked down and she was with the other dancers and she went, oh, hey, Mr. Boring. And I was like, that's her perception of me. 
Like her perception is that I'm the boring one. Whereas in my head, I'm being the professional one. I'm the one that's always on time. I'm the one that's always looks good. I'm the one that doesn't, isn't hungover. Like in my head, I'm the professional one. I'm the one that's going to last the longest. But in her head, I was the boring one. And I was like, yo, I'm not going to keep my job because I'm the boring one. Like, th- so I think it's about that balance. Oh yeah, completely. At the same time, being on time and stuff obviously is fantastic but being called the boring one felt worse than being called a bad dancer like you know like i'd rather just be cut from an audition like it hurt me so then the next time we got to do something fun and social i was like i'm gonna show you i'm mr fun (laughs) (laughs) you got your party poppers you're good (laughs) yeah i was like i'm staying out yeah completely and i think yeah no definitely not to take it because i think some people some performers quite often ask me like does every post have to be work-related? And I'm like, no, not at all. Like, social media is so fantastic for showing us, like, every element of you. Like, the behind-the-scenes aspect of you as a human being. Like, seeing your friends, whether it's at the gym, whatever it is. So, of course, yeah, not everything work-related. Um, it's just some people, I think, they ever don't post... Some people, sadly, wait until they're in a job to post. And I'm like, oh, no, but you have so much more value to offer than just being in that show so like it's okay to give that behind the scenes aspect looked at your life as well but also don't let the job define you you know they're not hiring uh jamie from matilda they're hiring jamie the performer the human the dancer you know what i mean don't let those jobs define you you have to be a person more than the job completely and i think that's what will give you longevity in this industry when people know you as that trustworthy person who is good to be around you you deliver what the product is at that time but then like i said you then move on because it's like when someone might hang on to panto it'd be like july and you're like i just finished panto and it's like (laughs) but that was seven months okay it's okay to be auditioning that's part of our industry like it's okay to be going to class and being in between work yeah i feel like that to be able to tell someone, oh, you know, it's the typical thing, isn't it? You're in freedom. Someone comes up to you and goes, what have you been up to? And your automatic, your automatic answer is, well, I just finished doing this promo gig for da-da-da. You know, well, you're allowed to say, chilling, nothing, going to the gym, took some classes. Like, you're allowed to do nothing. That means you're human. Yes, 100%. Like I said, resting. Like, resting is so important. So you don't... London is such an easy city to burn out in. Like, you need time. Like, especially now, like... Use this time to self-develop and look for work and take class, definitely. But have some you time, like read a book, like see yeah, your, sure. speak to your friends and family, like chill. It's okay. I, I, like I live in the countryside. It's the better. You won't, you won't burn out here. <laughs> you don't even see people. It's fantastic. <laughs> whereabouts, obviously, don't give us your address. We don't want people to turn up. But whereabouts do you live? So I live near Swindon in a little uh, like village called Lynham. So it's like an RAF village. And there's not many, there's not many people here. And so it's lovely. And I never, ever thought I'd want to live somewhere like this, ever. I'm from Cardiff. I moved to Swindon and I hated it when I was growing up. And then I lived in London and L.A. I was like, I'm a city boy. And then we came here because at the time it's all I could afford when we, when we were buying. And now it's just like, oh, this is nice. I found that balance between uh, tour life when I'm on tour is go, 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 city, city, city. And it's, now I can come here and I can turn my work brain off and relax and spend time with georgia and you know watch tv and like be a human no i think that and that's so lovely to hear again like it's okay like yeah do switch off it's okay don't have to be glued to like your phone or anything so that's nice yeah what's your um what's your goal within now your career because obviously you're 
I, I, well, I'm not saying your performing career has come to an end because it's far from it, but it seems like you're trying to move past that into more less dancer side and more presenting and podcasting and this network stuff. Um, yeah, it was been interesting because the presenting this kind of happened when I was covering events like I was covering social media for shows and they'd be like oh can you do vox pops after or can you interview this celebrity and I taught myself up how to like film um, and then I did my journalism qualification so the presenting like I've been quite like I've interviewed like Mel Gibson, Cuba Gooden Jr, I worked at the Royal Wedding like so it's been great um, but I think now what I found for me I get the most fulfillment by kind of sitting in this hybrid of everything i kind of my goal is to be an entertainment specialist so whether that is you're on the red carpet or you're consulting or you're lecturing at a college or university um i'm sure you get that buzz when you teach as well for me i love when i'm lecturing and helping people so i think for me it's just to jettison that um maybe eventually i'd love to have like a bit more um like some online courses maybe things like that which because sometimes I have to turn down clients because I don't have the capacity myself. So it'd be nice to maybe have that kind of residual thing going on. But yeah, that's kind of my forecast. How about yourself? In an ideal world, to teach and to talk to people like this, like <laughs> in, an, in an ideal world, if I could wrap it all up in a dream, it would be teach three days a week, do this two days a week, three days a week, you know be a presenter, something like that. Somewhere I just get to talk and socialise with people. I couldn't bear the thought of being in an office on my own. You know, I, I, I still need some sort of physical movement. At first I was always like, I'm going to be a PT. And then, I don't know, I kind of saw a PT schedules and was like, oh, that's not for me. That's harder than a dancer's schedule. Like, <laughs> it's even rougher hours. Um, so, yeah, just something physical. Teaching, I'd love to do as long as I can. Because... It's interacting with people. It's inspiring people. Um, but it has to have value. You know what I mean? Like, it can't just be for me. I've got to see other people progress or other people grow. Um, I've contemplated being a fireman, a policeman. Because in my head, I'm like, they're busy. They're social. And it, it gives. You know? Like, it's just for me, it's got to have something where I'm giving back. It's got to have some sort of purpose. It can't just be like, I'm this because that's what I am. <laughs> And I think that's a lovely trait as as performers. We we help that, like we give that to the audience. We help build people up, and it's such a lovely feeling, isn't it? So yeah, it's sure. it's trying to then learn how to replace that when maybe the focus goes from helping people visually, maybe with performing, to how can you get that same buzz, doing what you love and helping others. So now, yeah, I think it's it's exciting, isn't it? The unknown. Yeah. Our job is the most generous way of being selfish. Because, you know, we get such satisfaction from other people being pleased by us. But we're doing everything we can to please other people. It's, it's weird, isn't it? Like, we, we die for a standing ovation. But we'll do anything we can and be as generous and give the most to get that standing ovation. So you're being overly generous to be selfish. You know, because when you give your all, if you give someone everything and you don't get a clap at the end in what we do, you're pissed. Like... You know what I mean? You're like, what? You're not going to clap me? Like, I just gave you everything. You know? So it's kind of an overly generous, selfish <laughs> aspect of what we do. <laughs> no, yeah, it's an interesting... It's definitely... It's interesting. I feel like as you get older as well as a performer, that's when you kind of struggle to think, right, this is what's been my life for so long. How can I repurpose that now and get out there? But I guess that journey's never ending, is it? Oh, it's never ending. 
Oh, and I don't even know because we're not even halfway through, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But so far. Definitely. Good. Well, I feel like I should um, let you go, but can you give my listeners, when I put, where can they find you on social media? Uh, my Instagram is at MrBullChange, like a step ball change, yes, at MrBullChange, um, and then from there you can find everything. Go to theinsandoutspodcast.com. And you can find everything there. And for your listeners yourself, it's at Body Jamie. It is, yes. That's my last name. You nailed it. <laughs> Everyone always thinks, did you pick that last name because you're a dancer? I was like, no, luckily I was born with it. So that was good. <laughs> the same. Is Kane Silver your stage name? I go, yeah, I'm my real one. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, thanks for a great evening, mate. You've been fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, just to all of our listeners, both of ours, if you could find us on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review, um, that would mean the world to us. I know to you guys it's just listening, but to us, that's how we get noticed within the iTunes charts. That's how we get publicity. The way that algorithm, algorithms work with iTunes is if we don't have any ratings, they're not going to advertise us at the top of their advertising for the performing arts section. So please leave us the five-star ratings and reviews. If it's not five-star, just message us and we'll we'll discuss why we can improve. Yeah, no, I love that. And it, it's so true. I literally, because obviously I'm newer to podcasting. I sit there and I look at my stats and, oh, I'm in a new country or why didn't this one? It, it's so, I'm like, oh God, stop it, Jamie. Calm down. Those, the, but the, the ratings, the, those five-star ratings are what just means if you get listened to or not by people who you're not connecting with through your own media. Yeah, so hopefully leave us lovely reviews, everyone. Love us. And thank yeah. you so much. And also thank you for your honesty to say, Kane, which I think is great. I love that about you. You're just kind of just saying it how it is, which I think is really endearing and needed in the industry. Say what you mean, mean what you say. Thank you for listening to the Ins and Outs podcast. Please make sure you leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends and family. Also, go and check out Jamie's podcast, The Business of Show Business. You can find that on iTunes and all other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.